the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic's Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Uh, Welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Of course, you're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. We gather like this every weekend. And, of course, we're grateful to Alan Dempsey because he engineers us and gets us on the air. Uh, Andrew Herdlisk is our producer. And John Fia is our guest in this first segment uh, from Central Pennsylvania, American history professor at Messiah College in Mechanicsburg, PA. And the book is called Believe Me, The Evangelical Road to Donald Trump. John, thanks for joining me. How are you? Thanks, Pat. Good to be with you. Uh, Before we plow into this, uh, tell me about Messiah College. Uh, What do we need to know about that school? Sure. Messiah College is a uh, self-identified Christian college uh, in the evangelical Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a liberal arts college, about 3,000 students just outside of... uh, just outside of Harrisburg, it's a member of the Christian College Coalition. So our sister schools are schools like Wheaton, Calvin, Gordon, sure. Eastern, those kinds of schools. Yeah, uh, John, we continue to have books coming out on Donald Trump and his tie to the evangelical world. Uh, what makes your book different? Well, I think I approach this from uh, the perspective of both an American historian uh, who is trying to look at the various forces in history that kind of has led 81% of white American evangelicals, uh, voters at least, to vote for Donald Trump in 2016. So I approach this historically, and I think there's a, you know, anybody who's interested in uh, the, that kind of history, you know, history of American evangelicals and their political convictions will be interested but I also approach this as an evangelical Christian myself, um, who had a conversion experience as a 16-year-old kid, uh, grew up in a sort of nominal church background, um, had a born-again conversion experience. Uh, I attend a big evangelical uh, church uh, here in the Mechanicsburg uh, area. Um, and I, I think what I'm trying to get at is trying to figure out why 8 out of 10 uh, if the statistics are correct, why eight out of ten of my fellow brothers and sisters in the faith um, decided to uh, pull a lever for Donald Trump uh, in 2010? So, so I are 16 rather. So I think about this as a historian, but also as an evangelical. And I think was I think that's what makes the book unique. John, uh, chapter one of your book is simply called "The Evangelical Politics of Fear." Right? Uh, can you explain all that to us? Sure. Um, there has been a long, uh, a long-standing history of um, of evangelicals 
being very worried and anxious about the course of their of their nation. Uh, many evangelicals believe that America was founded as a Christian nation. Uh, that, as a historian, that's a, a can be a dubious claim, depending on what you mean by Christian America. Uh, but nevertheless, whenever that Christian identity, as they perceive it, as 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 many of our uh, fellow, my fellow evangelicals perceive it, whenever that is challenged or wherever that is um, uh, under assault or threatened. Uh, evangelicals historically have turned to what I call the politics of fear. They have looked for a candidate who is going to protect them uh, and restore the kind of values that they want, but also protect them from the forces of secularization. So in that first chapter, I try to talk about why Donald Trump proved to be the best uh, sort of strongman for evangelicals uh, in a field, in the GOP primary, in a field where there are other Christian candidates as well, uh, that maybe had better, uh, you know, character traits uh, than Donald Trump. Then you move to this topic. It's simply called the playbook. Right. Uh, what does that mean? Well, what I argue in that chapter is that uh, evangelical Christians have, for a long, long time, operated politically under a playbook, a political playbook that was written uh, in the late 1970s and early 1980s by. Um, the leaders of the moral majority, Jerry Falwell and, and others. Uh, and the playbook is a very common one now. We're, we're actually uh, seeing it in action right now with the Supreme Court um, nominee, uh, Kavanaugh. Uh, it goes something like this, right? Elect the, elect the right president. Uh, he will appoint the right justices, or she, um, usually he, will appoint the right justices. Uh, the, the Congress will confirm that pick. And that is the way in which you you change uh, you change the world. You reclaim the country for Christ. Uh, you re, you restore America. And uh, what I try to show that in that is that evangelicals have really embraced this playbook to such an extent they haven't really thought deeply about the history of this playbook. And were, are there other kind of Christian alternatives uh, than just seeking political power? and political control of the government uh, to to push out or to live out the kingdom of God in the world. And there have been evangelicals who have written a lot about this, but uh, most evangelicals seem so committed to this political playbook that uh, it makes perfect sense that they would have voted for Trump, despite his character flaws, because he executes the playbook on some of the moral issues that evangelicals think are important. And isn't it safe to say, John, that... Uh evangelicals just could not uh, pull the uh, the lever for Hillary Clinton. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton uh, represented, had a long history with evangelicals going back to the 90s with her husband, Bill. Uh, that's certainly one of the reasons why they turned to Trump. Um, you know, they saw this election as a binary choice. Uh, Clinton, of course, also did not have the kind of social policies, especially on abortion and religious liberty. Uh, that evangelicals wanted. So in some ways, um, you know, in some ways, yes, uh, faced with the choice between Trump and Clinton, uh, it was obvious that they would turn to Trump. I'm, I'm really interested, though, too, in back to the answer to your first question, you know, why, though, so many evangelicals turn to Trump in the GOP primaries as well. That's an interesting question in and of itself. But yes, Hillary Clinton factors in a, in a big way uh, in this book, and, and Barack Obama. The social changes under Barack Obama in the eight years uh, that took place, uh, especially on gay marriage and religious liberty issues, 
um, happened very, very quickly for evangelicals. And many saw Hillary Clinton as a simple extension of uh, the Obama administration. Uh, John Fia is our guest, uh, uh, based at uh, Messiah College in central Pennsylvania. Uh, We're talking about his book, Believe Me. Uh, John, we've covered the evangelical politics of fear and the playbook. Now, uh, please give us a short history of evangelical fear. What is that? Yeah. Well, what I found in doing my research for this book was that, uh, and I mentioned this earlier, evangelicals have have always felt, whenever they have felt threatened by by their um, by the changes in the Christian nation that they want to uphold. They often uh, act out and sort of, uh, you know, respond with a kind of backlash. Throughout American history, they have always done this. So, you know, a great example going way back is like the election of 1800, when Thomas Jefferson, a unbeliever, was elected president. Uh, evangelicals kind of went into a panic mode. They thought Jefferson was going to come and, and confiscate his henchmen, at least, to confiscate their Bibles. Um, you know, they're kind of, they were kind of closed their churches and so forth, and they reacted in panic and fear. Another great example of this is in the South during the air, in the lead up to the Civil War. Um, many Southern evangelicals were deeply afraid that the Northern abolitionists, many of them being evangelicals themselves, these abolitionists, were going to end slavery and destroy their way of life. Uh, and out of that fear of, uh, of of ending their society built on white supremacy and slavery, many evangelicals turned to the Bible, and they, they constructed a defense, a biblical and theological defense of slavery. Uh, again, I think that was done out of fear that their way of life uh, would be under undermined. So there's all kinds of examples like that. Evangelicals were at the forefront of being afraid of Catholics coming into the country. And I think Donald Trump tapped into, among evangelicals, tapped into some of that long history of fear. Evangelicals have done a great deal of good, I should say, in the world, very positive things in the world. I don't want to downplay that. Uh, Certainly not. You can find all kinds of great historical examples. But it was really the fear of evangelicals that Donald Trump was able to connect with the most. And I think uh, you add Hillary Clinton to the mix as another choice, and that's what happened in 2016. John Fia, our guest, talking about his book, Believe Me. We've got more with John, but first these messages right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are, why do we have trials, and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? Are you barely getting by making minimum payments? You should know. The credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. 
National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people, they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-518-4020. 800-518-4020. That's 800-518-4020. On the next Uncontainable Podcast, have we got some necessary truth for you. Kevin McCullough, will you join us? Dr. Ed Young, Dr. Greg Laurie, and Jeff Shreve all tackle the very, very tough topic of why suffering happens to people. There's a variety of reasons and a variety of responses that we might be tempted to pursue. But what's the right one? Next time on Uncontainable at ChristianRadio.com and this station's website. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. John Fia, American history professor at Messiah College in Pennsylvania, is our guest. His new book is out, Believe Me, The Evangelical Road to uh, Donald Trump. And that brings us uh, right to this topic, John, the court evangelicals. Uh, yeah. Explain that to us. Yeah, this was a term, the court evangelicals, that I, I defined or, or, or originated. You know, as I, as I study history, uh, you know, back in the Middle Ages and in the Renaissance, you know, when you had these kings and they had courts, you had large numbers of what are called courtiers, people who would come to the court, flatter the king. Uh, you know, very rarely would they speak power uh, to the king, truth to power, I should say, truth to the king. Um, a lot of these court uh, court uh, visitors, courtiers, as they were called, were, were, mid, were priests uh, who... Um, they were often criticized by their fellow priests for sacrificing their prophetic voice in the culture for, um, for, for being close to the king. And there is a group of evangelical Trump supporters, uh, his Evangelical Advisory Council. I'm not sure to what degree they're advising the president on things, um, but they frequent the king's court, the president's court, so to speak, on a, uh, very often. And they are the ones who are really carrying a lot of the weight uh, of, of Trump's uh, views and trying to bring them back into their congregations and so forth. Um, the whole point of the court evangelicals, the cha- that chapter in my book, really raises some questions about, is this the best way to kind of pursue uh, um, Christian change in the world by cozying up to political power in the way that these uh, men and women do? I give the example of Billy Graham in the 1970s, who was very, very close to Richard Nixon. And while everybody else had by this point realized that Richard Nixon was guilty in the Watergate scandal, uh, Billy Graham stood by Richard Nixon till the very, very end, thinking that he was a good good man, he wasn't corrupt, and, and these sort of things. And then Billy Graham later on came to regret that. So there have been lessons in the, in the evangelical past about the danger of getting too close to political power, uh, and that, I think, is what the court evangelicals, that's a temptation, at least, that they face um, by trying to um, cozy up to this president, especially someone like Trump, who may not necessarily have the moral character uh, that matches what the evangelicals uh, normally uphold. Make America great again. That's your fifth topic, John. What's that? Sure. 
Yeah, in this one, I'm addressing my fellow Christians to think seriously about uh, that phrase, right? That's Donald Trump's catchphrase, right? Make America great again. And this is a chapter largely about the difference between uh, nostalgia and history. And too often, evangelicals get too caught up in nostalgia for a golden age in the past that they want to return to. So I'm a historian, right? So so many people, when they listen to uh, Make America Great Again, they focus on the word great, right? America was great. When? When were they great? I'm a historian. I tend to focus on the word again, right? When was America great? And I wish Donald Trump would be very specific about telling us when America was great. Uh, you know, was it the 1980s? Was it the 1950s? Uh, the 19th century? Was it, I don't know, the time of the American founding? Um, and, and, yeah, there's been some great things that have happened in America, but when you look at the past through the lens of nostalgia, nostalgia can often be a very selfish way of entering the past, because People who are nostalgic look back on something usually that was a positive thing for them or for their community or for their family, and they don't realize that what was perhaps great in the past for some people may not have necessarily been great in the past for others. And since Donald Trump rarely talks about specifically when America was great, we have to look at the way he uses American history. And whenever he appeals to American history, whether it be uh, the American first, which was a very America first phrase, which is a very anti-Semitic uh, word used, phrase used in the 30s, or Andrew Jackson, who was a white supremacist president. Um, he also appeals to the darker moments in American history instead of the moments of hope uh, and light uh, in American history. So I think Christians especially, my fellow evangelical Christians, need to be careful with that phrase, make America great again. Certainly, we're nostalgic for things. We, we, you know, I'm one of the most nostalgic people you'll ever meet. But, but I'm not sure the best way to build a political philosophy, a political a politics, is is um, building on nostalgia. I think is, is you have to be careful with that for Christians. And then, of course, when Christians think "Make America Great Again," they appeal to the idea that America was somehow founded as a Christian nation. And like I said early in the interview, I think. We need to be careful about that one, too. That's a very dubious claim. And I wrote a book in 2011 called Was America Founded as a Christian Nation, in which I addressed some of those issues. Was it? Well, it depends, you know, how you define your terms. Um, You know, obviously, uh, it was a nation of Christians, uh, but clearly the Founding Fathers did not in any way, shape, or form think about privileging Christianity over uh, over other faiths. Uh, you know, there's a there's a school of evangelical historians. Well, I don't even call them historians. They're really purveyors of the past who who use the past for political ends, who want to turn uh, all of the founders into evangelical Christians, and you know uh, they they want to talk about America as a Christian nation. Um, so I think you have to be very very careful. I'm very dubious of the idea when people use the past that way and cherry pick what they want from the past in order to make policy decisions uh, in the present. If, you, if you're against abortion or you want to defend religious liberty, uh, you know, oppose abortion. Defend religious liberty. But just be very careful when you try to invoke the past, especially the American founding, in order to do that, because history is very complex. It's much more nuanced than simply 
you know, shoehorning your your particular uh, things you like about the past into the present. So as a historian who approaches this as a historian who's trying to seek the full truth of the past, rather than utilize the past for some kind of agenda, whether it be a left-wing or right-wing agenda, whatever it is, uh, I'm trying to call my fellow believers to kind of take history uh, a little more seriously. John Fia is our guest. John, uh, project out to 2020, uh, assuming yeah. Trump runs again. Will, uh, do you see him winning? Well, I'm a, I'm a historian, not a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I'll take a shot. I mean, I think Donald Trump has delivered, whether whether we like it or not, I think Donald Trump, and it's purely a sort of observation, Donald Trump has delivered for many conservative evangelicals. He, you know, the, the Supreme Court picks of Gorsuch and now Kavanaugh. Uh, the, um, the the move, many evangelicals are very excited about him moving the embassy uh, in Israel to Jerusalem. Uh, many of them appreciate his fighting for religious liberty, uh, and these are the things that many Christian evangelicals are concerned about. I personally think that Christian evangelicals should be concerned about more than just that. Uh, you know, they should be really outraged at things like separating children from the border and, you know, a bunch of other things. But, but this is, these are the big issues historically. Uh, abortion, the Supreme Court, religious liberty that evangelicals in the last 20 years have defended. So I think if Donald Trump continues to deliver on this front, the best I can say is that he will, he will have that solid evangelical base uh, in 2020. Will that be enough for him to win? Remember, he lost the popular vote by three million uh, to Hillary Clinton. So it'll it'll be interesting uh, to see what happens. Do you see Hillary wanting to run again? I don't know. I've seen I've seen some news stories about that. Um, you know, I think it would be bad for the country. I think it would be bad for the Democratic Party uh, if Hillary Clinton runs again. Um, I think she just. I think she was a very very flawed candidate in 2016. Um, I think it, she made it abundantly clear, and now some of her advisors are coming out and saying this, uh, that she decided not to appeal to American evangelicals and their interests. She thought she could win without them. Now, granted, mm. Hillary Clinton is not going to ever win the evangelical vote, right? But, but um, she, she could have maybe peeled off some people who were kind of moderate, who really didn't like Trump. But she refused to talk about um, abortion in the same way that her husband talked about it. Uh, what did Bill used to spill? Bill was pro-choice, but he used to say we want it to be limited, we want it to be safe, right? And rare. Um, she, and, rare. Yeah. and rare, right. She rarely uh, talked about, the, the, the leg- I think, the legitimate religious liberty issues uh, on Obamacare with the sisters, the little sisters of the poor, and contraception, uh, and then and then Christian colleges like Messiah College that you know may have traditional views on things, um, you know, and and should be able to to practice those. She rarely reached out to evangelicals on that front. So I think it would be bad for the Democratic Party, but also bad for the country. I think it's time for uh, uh, Hillary to kind of look for other things to do. Could Joe Biden beat Trump? Oh, I don't know. You know, you're asking me here, Pat, to be a political pundit. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of uh, Democrats who have a decent shot. I, any Democrat who is not Hillary Clinton, I think you have to take seriously. I think Biden, 
Uh, Biden may, you know, may peel off certain pro-life, even though he's pro-choice, he's a Catholic, and he's very pro-life in his personal convictions. Yes. Um, That's not going to win over a lot of evangelicals, but he may peel off some people who just can't stand Trump. I I think there's a good chance he could win. Very interesting. John, I'm I'm curious, if we sat in on your uh, history classes at Messiah College, uh, how would they be taught? Is there a is there a Christian emphasis uh, through yeah. history as you teach? What, 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 would yeah. we, what would we learn in your class? Sure. Um, and on one level, you would get just as strong and solid of a, of a history education as you would at any university or college in the country. Uh, you know, we're a liberal arts college, you know, so I, I always tell people you would get just as strong an education at our neighboring liberal arts colleges like Gettysburg College or Dickinson or some of these schools. On the other hand, we take seriously certain, certain theological uh, principles about the human experience. History is about humanity. It's not about trying to understand what God is doing. We leave that up to the theologians in, in the school. <laughs> history is about trying to understand the human experience as it changed over time. So we take things like um, the reality of the fact that all human beings are created in God's image, very, very seriously. That means the stories we tell about the past should include everybody, not just uh, a particular group who was in power or so forth. So we offer courses, you know, I will, I will talk about, just as much as I talk about white uh, people, I'll talk about slaves, I'll talk, not because I want to be politically correct, but because all human beings have that dignity. Um, and then we, we believe in human sin uh, at Messiah College, and it's it's very, very hard to understand uh, the past without a, a robust understanding of human sin and failure. So I think some of that, our students are exposed to thinking about the past in these kind of theological categories. And then we try to think about, you know, uh, uh, do some morality, some ethics, right? You know, what is the, what is, you know, did a, was Abraham Lincoln uh, correct uh, in this or that position uh, from the perspective of Christian faith? So I think that's what you'll find. We, we try to shy away from what is often referred to as providential history, trying to read, the, read what God is doing in history, um, because I think it's very, very difficult to do that in our limited capacity as sinful human beings. But certainly in a history class, we, we talk about these other theological principles. John, what is your specialty in American history? What is your favorite period? Sure. Yeah, I, I, I teach American history, and I've written five books, mostly on the early period, uh, the uh, 18th century, uh, the American Revolution, uh, colonial America. Mm-hmm. Um, so this Trump book is a little bit of a departure for me into more modern American history. I also wrote a history of the American Bible Society, a, uh, a 200-year-old organization uh, based that was based in New York City. It just moved to Philadelphia. So I'm interested in, in early American history and American religious history. Tell me about that move to Philadelphia. I, w- I was not aware of that. Yeah, it happened in actually 2015 or 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, after 200 years, the American Bible Society sold their building in New York City, uh, and they they moved to Philadelphia. I think it was uh, it, it was it was related to um, uh, downsizing. I think the building was too big. Um, and I think uh, they had they had prime real estate in New York. They're right on Columbus Circle, and they uh, they they saw it as a better stewardship of their money uh, to sell that building. And I think it was about ten floors of airspace above the building, 
and and then move you know downsize. They now they're now in the Wells Fargo building um, on the uh, right across from um, right across from our, our Kitty Corner to uh, Independence Hall. So- John Fia, our guest. Uh, we've got more after this <clears throat> on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is ninety four point nine FM <clears throat> and AM nine fifty. The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. John Fia, our guest in that first segment. Fia, our guest in that first segment. Julie Gillies is with us, and uh, she's in Bradenton. Uh, her book is called From Hot Mess to Blessed. Julie, uh, great to talk to you. Thanks for joining me, and uh, hope all is well with you. How you doing? I'm well, actually. Uh, we're in the middle of moving. <laughs> we are downsizing after 35 years, so you want to talk about a hot mess potential right now. I've got boxes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> What does that title mean, From Hot Mess to Blessed? How to propel your soul and the promises that change everything? Well, many years ago, when I first met the Lord, um, I I was such a hot mess. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say it tritely. Uh, I was in a very uh, negative home environment. Our our parents were abusive, and I'm the oldest of five siblings. And there was abuse and neglect. In fact, our mother lost custody of us in our state. And so you can imagine the scenarios that I grew up in. Mm. And as I became an adult, uh, I, I just took it with me. I wasn't taught any different, and I didn't know any different. And when I came to meet the Lord, uh, he really started showing me some, some issues little by little because he's gracious and kind that way, thank God. And I realized that it's not just me. We're, we're all kind of a hot mess to one degree or another. And I happen to have an honorary degree in hot mess. And, and what I realized was that God could take me from that broken, hurting, insecure, angry woman to more of a blessed woman. As it says in Luke 145, blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of the things the Lord had spoken to her. And I kept sensing him saying, if you will trust me, I will change you. I will change the things that concern you and grieve you and, and have hurt you. And so the whole point of the book is to dare to believe that God can transform us and take us from something like a hot mess to blessed. Yeah, the, <clears throat> the first chapter of your book and then I knew normal wasn't out of the question. Uh, what's, what's, what's that about? Well, I didn't feel normal growing up. I would go and visit my friends' homes, and their families all interacted with each other with kindness, and there wasn't any hostility, and people didn't throw things, and they had food in their pantries and sheets on their bed, and, and I just thought, wow, this is this is so nice. I wonder why I don't live like this. And so I grew up feeling like normal wasn't even possible for me just because I was so broken. Not only did I not have the material comforts 
that so many of my friends enjoyed, but I didn't have the relational security. And so for me, I didn't think normal was even possible. And then one morning as I sat praying, God showed me, uh, I sort of saw something in my mind as I was praying, and I saw a woman walking down a road, and she turned around and looked at me, and she just smiled and radiated emotional health and stability. And I looked at her, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I, I would love to be like that. And then the strangest thing happened. I knew, and this was something that God's Spirit revealed to me, Pat, I knew that she was me, my future self. And so God was showing me the potential me way off down the road if I would commit to his ways and dare to believe that normal wasn't out of the question for someone like me. Let's uh, move to the next topic you write about. Uh, Julie, it's weight. You mean that's not who I really am? <laughs> You know, I think a lot of us are confused about our identities, and it's hard for us to accept our identities in Christ because we really know what we're like on the inside. We know the secret issues that we struggle with. We know what a mess we really are on the inside. And so God says that he will give us a new identity. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That's Romans 3.22. And so what we have to do is overcome some erroneous thinking and be careful what we believe. In fact, we need some defensive thinking so that we recognize um, lies when they come to us and we resist them and we believe God's word instead. Julie Gillis is our guest from uh, Bradenton, Florida. Mm -hmm. The, The book, From Hot Mess to Blessed, Julie, the part where we keep going through hard stuff, you do a whole chapter on that. Uh, fill us in on that, please. God says he works all things for good. And I'll tell you what, there came a time in my life where I read a specific verse in the Bible, and it was the only time I read a verse and instantly hated it. And I know you're probably thinking we shouldn't hate Scripture, and I agree with you. But when I was a new, a new Christian, I didn't realize that you shouldn't hate God's Word. <laughs> it was just one of those things. But uh, it was Isaiah 41.10. It said, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not look around in terror and be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and harden you to difficulties. And when I got to that part, I had already been through so much hard stuff, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, that to me that rippled through my my receptors in my brain and it came out thinking I came across came out of that thinking this means more hard stuff's going to happen and the truth is none of us is promised a bed of roses none of us are promised pain-free lives what we are promised is that God will work all things for good that he is with us in the fire that he never leaves us or forsakes us and so yeah we will sometimes have seasons where we keep going through hard stuff but the good news is he works it all for good, and we can trust him because God is faithful, and he is kind, and he loves us, and he is able. Julie, uh, what is this uh, uh, chapter you write about called the chasm closer? What, what's that mean? Yes. Well, a chasm is a massive uh, 
like almost like a hole, an invisible hole between where we are and where we want to be. And for me personally, that was, oh, I wanted to be emotionally healthy. I wanted to be stable. I didn't want to be angry all the time. But it can be, you know, God is the chasm closer. He, he is able to fill in our inadequacies. He is able to heal so that we don't have to think, oh, gosh, I can't get from here to there because it, it's such a wide space. There's no way I can make it through that. I can't attain that level. So he is the chasm closer. He, he does enable us. I mean, Jesus himself says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible with a person who believes, and that's Mark 9.23. So essentially that's what God does. He helps us avoid the enemy's taunt. He helps us understand that he's able to close every, every chasm. Now, now I want you to talk about for our every meltdown, freak out, and gut-wrenching hurt. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. You know, when you've been through a lot of trauma, when you go through a crisis, when some sort of uh, grenade goes off in your living room that you weren't anticipating, an accident or a financial thing, it can really make you want to have a meltdown or freak out or somebody hurts you or betrays you, and, it, and it's such a gut-wrenching hurt. And I've been through that, and I'm sure you've been through that, and our listeners have been through that. Our life here on heaven, this, our life this side of heaven is not perfect. But God is our stability. He is the one who enables us to stand firm, because Jesus is our rock. He helps us to not panic, to trust him, to lay the events at his feet, and to believe that he can soothe our heart and he can be in the midst and give us peace in the midst of that. It's, it's just uncanny, and it's, it's a real thing. It's not, um, it's not something made up. I've experienced God's very real presence in the most unlikely scenarios. When my three-year-old daughter was hospitalized for a severe stomach virus and she couldn't keep anything down for five days and was very, very ill, I had a supernatural peace. One, I knew one way or the other God was with us, and that's, a, that's priceless. That is absolutely priceless. <clears throat> the book, <clears throat> From Hot Mess to Bless, Julie Gillies is our guest. Knocking knees aside, uh, fill us in, Julie. I'm, I'm very familiar with fear and what fear does and how it operates through us. And I can tell you that fear, fear is a spirit. That's what Second Timothy one seventeen says. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, so we know it's a spirit. It is a spirit. Now, it's not always a spirit. I, sometimes we hear something crash on the other side of the house. And we know our kids are over there, and we get a, a momentary panic. And uh, that's not fear. That's just, that's just a normal re- response. But, but fear that we experience in battle is a spirit, and fear is a bully. And just like the bully maybe you experienced in, in school or you knew someone who faced a bully, Bully tactics, fear wants to interfere with our lives. It wants to 
stop us from moving forward. Fear wants to impede us, and it wants to cast doubt in our hearts. Like, oh, I'll never be able to live up to this. I I can't do that. It it just wants to uh, stop us in our tracks, basically. But the good news is God enables us to resist the spirit of fear by we can a simple simple thing we can do is change the way we pray for years i prayed against fear god help me not to be afraid god i don't want fear to torment me instead i learned to change the way i prayed and so one of the things we can do is instead of praying that fear will be far from us we can ask god to give us strong bold and courageous hearts as it says in joshua 1 9 when fear comes near us and so if we simply change the way we pray we can live brave lives. Now, <clears throat> Julie, let's talk about because every iota of you matters. Yes. If anyone had struggled with feelings of insignificance, it was me. Mm. I felt very insignificant. And uh, my parents didn't really listen to us as children, didn't keep us safe. They, I grew up with them smoking weed in the house and having parties in the house and a lot of inappropriate activities in the house. Um, and so, and I would say something like, we can't go to sleep. The music is so loud and there are so many people here and we're all scared, but they didn't listen. And so I grew up feeling very insignificant. But God loves us. And he showed me as I went through this whole overarching theme of this book, as I went from hot mess to blessed, he began to show me how significant I was to him, how much I mattered to him, how he brought his son to die a horrible death because he loved me and wanted to make a way for me, how he calls me his beloved, how he loves me with an everlasting love. And little by little, I began to understand that I really mattered. I I mattered to the creator of the universe. And that's the good news to those of us who have struggled with insignificance. We don't have to believe the lie that we don't matter because we do matter. God hears our every prayer. He longs to spend time with us. He's made a way to be with us. And he says that we are his. He calls us his beloved. He, he's given us a glorious new wardrobe. He's clothed us, clothed us, clothed us in righteousness. And so when we struggle with insignificance, we can take a step back and ask God to show us, Lord, who am I really? And he will show us that he sees us through eyes of love and his heart says, you are mine, and you matter, and you are significant, and we can choose to believe him. <clears throat> Julie Gillis is our guest. <clears throat> the book is called From Hot Mess to Blessed. We've got another segment with Julie. <clears throat> Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando, Florida. <clears throat> Thanks. For, <clears throat> excuse me. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word.
This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your hosts, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Kevin Picorni. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design right here, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Join Richard Jordan, President of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org, 530 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Hey, travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call, because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find ridiculously low prices for you. Call SmartFares today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. 800-915-9296. 800-915-9296. 800-915-9296. That's 800-915-9296. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Jody Gillis is with us from Bradenton, Florida. Uh, the book is called From Hot Mess <clears throat> to Blast. <clears throat> Julie, tell us about It Shatters the Bleakest Despair. What's that mean? It Shatters the Bleakest Despair is a chapter on hope. And it's based on Romans ten eleven. The scripture says no matter who believes in him, who adheres to, relies on, and trusts in him, no one who ever believes in him will ever be put to shame or disappointed. God is a God of hope. And I'll tell you, when you walk through some hopeless seasons, that's critical to know. The enemy wants to steal our hope. He wants to pilfer it and leave us discouraged and hopeless. And yet God, God is a mighty God who speaks hope to our hearts, who enables us to shake off the bites uh, of the enemy, just like Paul shook it off when he landed on Malta and the shake, the snake bit his arm, he enables us to navigate the uncharted by his grace. Um, and he gives us a fresh new default setting, which is, which is actually hope. One of the things we can do is refuse to allow ourselves to become fixated on our current circumstances, but turn our hearts toward Jesus. Like the scripture says, I will hope for and expect the Lord. And when we don't allow our, our, um, our thoughts to be fixated on our circumstances, but instead on the Lord, who is the God of all hope, he breathes 
hope into our hearts, hope into our minds, and equips us with a holy, mighty hope. And that's something we need to hold on to. We need to cultivate hope and hold on to genuine, radiant, unfaltering hope, the kind that doesn't evaporate in the adversity of our circumstances until it takes root and develops fully into authentic faith and trust. So hope is an awesome tool that God gives us. Our guilt complex, nor our doubts, nor our catastrophic failures mm-hmm. can separate us, you write. Yes, 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 yes. I think most women, I don't know how it is with men, Pat, you'll have to fill me in, but I think a lot of women struggle with guilt. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think we feel like we should, when we're doing one thing, we feel like we're pulled in another direction. We feel like we don't do it right or we don't do it well. And I personally struggled with forgiving myself when I would lose my temper, uh, respond inappropriately or hold a grudge. I had a hard time even just forgiving myself. And so that's what neither, that's what the love of God does. God gives us his unfailing love. That's his love at work in us. And we can accept and receive God's awesome love and not come into agreement with the enemy's accusations, which produce that guilt. Because, see, God convicts us by his spirit. He gently convicts us by his spirit so we can repent and turn around. But the enemy hurls accusations with us. And he wants us to come into agreement with those accusations so that we walk in guilt. But we can believe that God's love is at work in us and it's softening our hearts and transforming us. And truly, truly, God's love can obliterate every barrier erected by guilt. I've learned that. I've walked it out. And I'm grateful that his unfailing love is at work in me and changing me. And I believe that when we choose to trust that his love is at work in us, we can all experience his mighty love that just obliterates guilt. And I love that. Good. It's not the CIA, but special assignments abound. This is probably my favorite chapter, Pat, and that's because I believe we are all women of destiny. I, I think for me personally, I, my destiny got buried. I, I wrote my first book when I was nine, Mm. And it was just 28 pages long. It was stapled together. I colored the front, the little front cover, real cute. But then my home life got so bad, the trauma, and I started living in crisis mode. And that went on into adulthood. And when you're living in crisis mode, you don't dream. And those dreams, that dream, that gift of communication that God gave me got buried underneath all the years and layers of trauma until I didn't even know I have a destiny. And God began giving me a specific dream, a recurring dream that took years for me to figure out. And when he did, it literally woke me up to understand that I was a woman of destiny, that he has specific, specific gifts for us, each one of us, for the season of life that we're in, for our specific callings. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's own handiwork recreated in Christ Jesus, that we may do the good works which God predestined and planned beforehand for us 
taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. That scripture was mind-blowing to me. We are all specifically designed with God's specific gifts to enable us to walk those prearranged paths already ready and waiting for us to walk out and fulfill. That's exciting to me. We are women of destiny. We are men and women of destiny who have specific assignments and specific tasks that will honor God and we will feel more fulfilled when we fulfill our destinies, more satisfied with our lives, and we will honor the Lord when we, it's not the CIA, but when we walk in those special assignments. Julie Gillis is with us. It surpasses our dreams in a spectacular sort of way, Julie. Yes, it does. God's blessing on us. And if there's one thing I really treasure, it's God's ability to speak to me at the most uh, maybe inopportune times or when I don't expect it. And that is such a huge, huge blessing. It's the ability to step out of our circumstances and look up and come into God's agreement and agree into agreement with God and embrace the specific blessings and promises he offers us. God says he blesses us. He doesn't curse us. He says he has good plans for us, plans for us to prosper and not to harm us. I love that. When we're willing to look beyond the here and now and leave our comfort zones, we can live with him in the blessings that he has for us. We can cultivate willing hearts that yield fully to God with eyes that see and recognize the blessings God has given us. So we want to align our heart with the Lord, and we want to recognize that he's our shield, he's our covering, and that he blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. Because there's no such thing as marked down faith. Tell us about that, Julie. Well, the the whole point of the book is believing God and trusting God to take us from hot mess to blessed, but there is no such thing as marked down faith, and there is a cost to count. We have to understand that it won't be easy to follow God. It won't always be easy to follow God. It won't always be easy to trust Him, certainly, and that we will have to pay a price to walk in the destiny he has, to walk in the blessings he has, and the price is obedience and continuing to trust him when everything else, according to what our eyes see, is telling us the exact opposite. So we can believe that we are able to do this. We can believe um, that we are able to count the cost and grow in godliness. Uh, We can believe that We can stop relying on ourselves, I guess is what I'm trying to say. We can believe that he enables us to count the cost and pay the price. Like Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. He enables us to do that. He gives us the grace to continue to trust him, to continue to believe him. But we just need to go into the whole thing aware, aware that it's no picnic. We aren't promised a rose garden, that it will cost us. Julie Gillis has been our guest. Uh, We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. 
with more of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Want to earn up to 33% more retirement income for life? How would you like to decrease your tax exposure in retirement? It's all in my new book, and it's yours free. I'm Josh Melberg, founder and CEO of J.D. Melberg Financial. My company has brought in over $2 billion in annuities and to help you maximize your retirement income no matter what happens in the stock market. I'm going to give you my new book, Next Gen Annuity Strategies, for free. In plain, simple terms, I explain little-known truths about annuity strategies and unlock the five secrets you should know before buying an annuity. Call today, and I'll include a second book, The Number One Mistake Retirees Make When Investing in the Stock Market, and my free DVD. Call 800-528-1133. That's 800-528-1133. 800-528-1133. There's no obligation, no credit card required. Increased income is possible using strategies suited to your goals and may require buying multiple annuities and holding them full term. Annuities may require an additional purchase for the lifetime income benefit. Guarantees rely on the claims paying ability of the insurer, not intended to provide tax advice. Producers have the appropriate licenses for the products they offer. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Thanks so much for joining us here for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, John Fia was with us from Messiah College in Pennsylvania, talking about his book, Believe Me. And then Julie Gillis joined us from Bradenton, from hot mess to blessed. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, check out my most recent book. It's called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. Uh, the great John Wooden had summer camps for many years, and uh, that's the meat of this book, an area of Coach Wooden's life that really has never been explored. Uh, Ravel is the publisher. It's in bookstores and, of course, Amazon, a wonderful way to order books. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, where faith comes by hearing. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.